<laughs> I saw a meme this week. Y'all know what a meme is? Who doesn't? Let me help you. So it's, it's a snapshot, and then someone puts a caption on it, and it's usually pretty funny. And I saw a church meme this week. How many like church memes? I love them. Hilarious. And I saw one this week, and I should have put it up, that says uh, it has a person looking like this. And the caption underneath was, when it's 5 to 12 and somebody says, go on, preacher, go ahead and preach. Or maybe it was like this. So thank you, Randy, for the permission. <laughs> but we've been in this book of Esther, right? In this, in this series called God is Now Here. Uh, not God is nowhere, but God is now here. And we've been looking at the in, in the book of Esther, and and if, have you been reading a little bit of Esther? It's it's good reading. It's it's there's so many moments in the book of Esther that are just um, just pivotal moments. You just look at that book and you read through, and you think, boy, I remember hearing that in Sunday school. I remember hearing that in a preacher. There's these different moments that happen, and 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 it's 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 reminding us a lot of times um, of things that we've heard in the past, but or taglines or moments. Like, uh, that's what it made me think of a meme was like, all right, you got this snapshot and then you put the tagline on it or you put that caption on there. And we've been going through and we, we looked at, you know, when, when for such a time as this, when Mordecai said to Esther, you know, you, you've been placed in time and history, basically, for such a time as this. And uh, last week we touched on another one. And I want to dig down a little bit on that, but I want to sort of shift over to the New Testament, too, on on uh, on some scripture that um, that I believe is the central theme of what Mordecai and Esther were going back and forth about. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Esther chapter four. <coughs> Esther chapter four. We're going to start in verse fifteen this morning. If you have it, say Amen. Y'all were already on your way to Esther this morning. Esther chapter four and verse fifteen. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. And this is after, just to recap, if you haven't been or, you, or you're new to the story. Um, you know, Esther has been serving and, and she's one of the Jews that was sort of left behind. The remnant went out to rebuild some of the, the temple and the walls and they started getting permission to go out and do that. And Esther was living in Persia at the time and, and she wasn't one of those. And, and her and Mordecai were sort of left behind in this remnant, that, remnant of the remnant. And um, Esther was part of this area of Persia where the king, remember the king's name, right? Xerxes. King Xerxes was seeing over the, the land at this time. He was the king of Persia. And so um, he decided he wasn't really happy with the queen. Now, now remember, the queen wasn't necessarily, this wasn't husband and wife where they went down and walked on the beach holding hands. This was a very political uh, set up the king and queen, so the queen and king didn't like hang out together. They didn't, you know, have dinner together every night around the table and then watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. That's not something that they. These are the jokes, folks. If you're not laughing now, it's going to be a long two hours. But it's it's a political thing. So he wasn't real happy with the queen, and and he sent out and had a beauty pageant, in, so to speak, over all of the land, and and Esther won that beauty pageant, right? She found favor in his eyes. So she was, in a sense, then um, selected to be queen. Long process. She was in the in the palace for several years, 
and, and then before she was even queen, she had beauty treatments. They, they made her all, you know, as, as pretty as she could. She was already, the Bible says, very attractive. And so now the king had his queen. The problem was that the king did not know she was Jewish, nor did anyone else. Because at the council of her cousin Mordecai, who was more like an uncle or a father figure for her, raised her up in the Jewish ways, um, the council of Mordecai would tell her, don't reveal yourself to, the, to anyone in the land as Jewish. So she obeyed that and said, okay. So she got elected to be, selected to be queen. And then, uh, then some trouble started happening. Um, so she's in the palace. And then remember the villain in our, in our story, Haman, right? Haman, and we make all the noise, right? We don't want to hear that, that name. So he said uh, Mordecai wouldn't bow down. Mordecai was still in, the, in part of the, the, the kingdom, the people. And, and Esther was now queen. So Esther had the power sometimes to do certain things. Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, who was second in command. You remember in all this? Haman second in command. He goes out. People bow down as he walks down the street. Not saying I wouldn't kind of think that was cool, but he comes, come walks down the street, and people are bowing down. But there's one man who wouldn't bow down. It's this guy Mordecai. Now Mordecai, Esther's cousin, says, "You know what?" And, and it's not that clear why Mordecai wouldn't bow down. But there's a few reasons, maybe. And the, the most scholars would say that Mordecai wouldn't bow down because there's only one that he would bow down to, and that's his God. He wouldn't bow down to any king, queen, any noble, anyone. He's like, I am a Jew, and I bow down to only one, and that's the God that I serve. So then this Haman gets all mad and uh, goes back to the king and says, you know what, there's a, there's a guy, in fact, there's an entire people group in your kingdom that will not bow down to you. Haman stretched the truth a bit, flat out lied, really told the king that they weren't being obedient, they were not good. And really the Jews actually of the time were pretty compliant but Mordecai wouldn't bow down. And he says, you know, we ought, we ought to not only destroy this man, because the king's like, okay, well, what do you want to do about that? Like the king was all into his parties and his power. And so the second in command, he's just kind of like was administrative and, and just kind of delegating and say, you just, well, what do you think we should do? So Haman says, we should not only kill Mordecai, we should kill the entire race, kill, kill them all. All of, all of Mordecai's people, everyone like him. And the king was like, yeah, fine, go do it. I mean, What? He just approved genocide, like, yeah, all right, go, sure, fine. So then it, that whole thing started to roll. And then Mordecai got word of all this. So he goes back to Esther, and he says, Esther, you're the queen. you got to go into the king's palace. you got to go into the palace. you got to go into the king and tell him not, you know, to, to cut this off. You can't, we can't do this. Our entire people group are going to be wiped out. And, she, and he also told her, don't think that you're going to be off the hook. When he finds out you're Jewish too... He said, go ahead and kill all of the Jews. So when he find out you're Jewish, guess what? You're done too. You will not escape this, Mordecai says. So the queen says, Mordecai, you don't understand. Uh, this isn't like I can't just bust in there anytime I want. You know, I can't just, you know, hey, hey I'm just going to go see the king, open the door, and then you're good. No, no, no. Mordecai hadn't even called for her in 30 days. So he hadn't even seen her. It's not, it's not a lovey-dovey kind of thing is what I'm trying to tell you. Mordecai, or the king, didn't call for her for 30 days. So she's like, I can't just go in there. He says, you must go in there because you've been called to this time for such a time as this. That's the tagline, the first one. that says, Esther, I know you can't go in there. You're risking your very life. Because someone bust in on the king, 
they were probably going to be sentenced to death. You can't just bust in on the king and open the door and say, I'm here. You can't do that. So Esther realized that she was risking her very life to do this. So that brings us up to Esther 4.15. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather... And, and they were kind of going with this intermediary. She would send a messenger. He would send a messenger. He would, and not, not, I don't mean like a messenger. I mean like a person carrying him. Hateful. He said this. Go, she says, go and gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And here's the tagline for this chapter. And if I perish, I perish. And then it says this, and I have all that on the screen. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. If I perish, I perish. What's another word for perish? die. If I die, I die. Esther knew the weight of what she was about to do. And yet she said, you know what? This is, this is right. I am called for this. And if I perish, I perish. God is now here. There are so many defining moments in Scripture and in our lives. Defining moments. Life is filled with moments. Some defining, some average, some don't mean anything. Life is filled with moments. Some of those moments are good. Good moments. Good memories. Good moments. Like remember, men, when, when you got married, if you're married, remember, was that a good moment for you? The answer is yes. Right? In case you don't know the answer. Certain, certain people, graduation from either high school or college or grad school or whatever it is, certain, certain moments, good moments. You know, if you have children, remember, remember the birth of your children, those moments, great moments in your life. And, and you can remember these moments as they go by. They're sort of, sort of markers. I, w- I, would call them, I would call them altars in the Old Testament when they would build an altar and say, remember this time. It's a moment. Abraham did that and others throughout the scriptures. They would build this. Elisha, Elijah would build these things and say, remember this time. This is the time that God delivered us. And they would last for centuries. And there's these moments. But there are also some moments in life that that aren't so great, right? And we remember those just the same. The loss of a job, the loss of a family member, maybe cancer, maybe a diagnosis. You know, there's some moments that aren't so great. And there are some moments that are just flat out terrible. But these, these, the thing about moments in your life is sometimes you see moments coming down the pike, right? And you know what's going to happen. You can kind of see them. But other times, moments in your life, I mean, they just come and it hits you like a train. Oh, whoa, I didn't see that at all. And hear me when I tell you these moments that happen in your life We've walked through this book of Esther so far, and we see these huge, defining moments. But I want to tell you that these moments in your life, and it's pivotal for us to hear this this morning, moments don't define you. 
Moments do not define you. The, the diagnosis doesn't define you. The, the divorce doesn't define you. I told you about a guy I used to know who uh, that was his thing. He was the divorced guy. And I would go see him, and I, he was, a, he was a, a, um, someone who worked in a place that I frequented uh, for my job, and I'd go there to repair things, and, and he was there. And, and every single time I saw him, what was he talking about? My ex-wife, when I was divorced, I got this and that. So one time I asked him, his name was Dave. I said, one time I asked him, I said, Dave, you know, I'm thinking like this was a recent development. And I said, hey, what, what, uh, when was this? Ten years ago. Still living in that. Still living in that. (laughs) He was the divorced guy. Those moments in life don't define you. Having a rebellious child or, or someone that you're trying to get back to, to the Lord and, and all of this stuff, trouble, and these moments don't define you. It's how we respond to these moments that defines and shapes the trajectory of our lives. How do we respond to these moments? The moments don't define me, but how do I respond to these moments? Is it with a lack of faith? Or is it with a great deal of faith? It shapes and defines the trajectory and how we will be known. So looking at the stuff that Esther went through so far, and then one thing I know about all of us, she makes these choices. She had to make that choice to say, you know what, if I perish, I perish. No one could make that choice for her. Mordecai could only say what he said and leave it in her hands. And she said, well, I know what I have to do, and I'm choosing this. Whatever happened to Esther, whatever brought her to that point, she had to realize that for such a time as this, those words had to be echoing in her head saying, maybe I was called for such a time as this. And if I was, then I need to do what I need to do. I I didn't happen upon this situation. Uh, This is not by accident. If this is for such a time as this, right, the tagline, then I need to do what I'm supposed to do here. I didn't just happen upon this. Nothing happens by accident. We say that a lot in in this place, that, that you didn't arrive here today by accident. Uh, if you're if you're if you're here this morning or you're watching this morning, you, this is not an accident. You're here because God ordained time and space for you to be here, hearing what you're hearing and listening and responding and all of that because God ordained it. If you're walking closely with the Lord today, if you're walking right with Him and you're just you're, you're me and Jesus, the whole thing, you know, that didn't happen by accident. And unfortunately, or fortunately, sometimes these things, you have to put a little bit of effort into these things. Esther was the queen. Esther had to sit in the palace for five years before she was even introduced to the king. She had to sit there for a while getting beautified and all the treatments and it's a lot of spa days and all that. So if you're walking closely with the Lord, the same as with Esther for such a time as this, sometimes it takes some effort. Sometimes it takes a little effort on your part. She had to sort of suck it up and go through all of those wonderful spa days. You're saying, yeah, try me. 
But the reason she was, there was a purpose for her to be going through all of that. There was a reason. And now there's a reason that she has to make this difficult decision to perish. If I perish, I perish. She has to, she is brought to this place. And the reason where we are today spiritually is a direct reflection to how we responded to moments in our lives. There's been times I got to confess, and I hope you would be honest between yourself and the Lord this morning. There have been moments in our lives and in my life where I have responded with great faith. I have responded with great faith. You know, God's done some wonderful things in our lives and in my life. But there's also some moments in my life when I didn't respond so well. And I didn't respond with great faith. And what I wanted you to know before we even move on through the rest of this, that moments don't define us. How we respond to moments defines us and shapes the trajectory of our lives. And over the last several weeks, we've been seeing some moments in the life of Esther. We've been seeing some things. And it's been pretty amazing. She was scattered from her land, selected out of all the women in the land. She was a a foreigner living in a a heathen land. She was a godly woman living in a, a sinful heathen land. She's selected out of all these women in the land to be queen moments, right? Now faced with a huge dilemma that the king's been manipulated into genocide to kill all the Jews, Esther's people. And Mordecai, her father figure cousin, lets her know that this would include her too. She must go to the king, even if it means her life. Her dedication and obedience is really remarkable. These defining moments are all throughout the scripture. And what I want to jump over to the New Testament this morning, how I want to make that that leap is that Esther was willing to die. Esther was willing to die if it meant death. If I perish, I perish. And remember what I told you last week, that Esther was just a shadow or a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ who would die for God's people. Esther said, you know what, if I perish, I perish. I'm willing to pay the price to save God's people. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. Flip over to Matthew. And there's a moment in Matthew chapter 16, right before the the portion that we're going to read, a moment when Peter and the disciples were there with Jesus. And and Jesus kind of pauses for a moment from what's going on, and he asks them a very powerful and pivotal question. In Matthew chapter 16, he says this, Who do men say that I am? He's like, you know, hey, fellas, what's the word on the street about me? Like, who do men say that I am? Like, what's the word on the street about me? They all have different answers. They say, well, some think you're this and some think you're that. So Jesus specifies the question a little bit more and he says, but who do you say that I am? It's not about the world. It's not about everybody out there. It's not about the, 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 the people at large. But who do you say that I am? And then we know Peter, right? Love Peter. Peter, out of all the disciples, he, of course, pipes up and he goes, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? What a great moment. Peter, confident. Moments. Great faith. But once again, a couple of verses later, Jesus talks about his life and his death, and Peter actually rebukes him. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's just who Peter was. Moments of great faith. 
and moments of sheer stupidity. Peter had these moments where he would say things. Oh, remember the time he cut off a guy's ear just out of reaction? And Peter, Jesus had to say, hey, Peter, oh, I understand you're zealous, but my goodness. These moments through Peter, he, he makes these decisions. And if we're going to look at these moments today throughout the scripture, and we're going to look at this math story in Matthew, and the story in Matthew that I'd like to, to sort of say correlates with the decisions that Esther made. If I perish, I perish, willing to put it all on the line, willing to physically die if she had to. Maybe outside of the cross and the resurrection, maybe one of the most powerful moments in Scripture is found in Matthew 16, and we'll be starting in verse 24. So scroll down to 24, or turn the page, whatever you have. Some have a Bible actually made of trees. Matthew 16, verse 24 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Familiar portion of scripture. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? How many are singing a song in their head right now? Right, me too. In fact, Randy, come on up and we'll get... Moving on. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Sneak preview. Now, as you look at this passage, I love this passage too, not only because I love that song, but there's other reasons I love the passage. I feel like this passage is sort of the sum total of everything that we've experienced in Matthew's gospel so far. And here's what I mean. He's addressing his disciples. But one thing we know about Jesus, wherever Jesus went, and it wasn't always the disciples or only the disciples that went with him. There always was a crowd. Thank you. There always was a crowd over and over again. Even times when Jesus tried to withdraw from the crowd. And get away. They, they just kind of always showed up. And, and, and Jesus, when the crowd shows up, I mean, he, he reacts. When the, I mean, imagine that. You're so, I'll just need to get away for a little while. So glad to be in my personal space. Oh, you're still here. Right? Always with the crowd. But the crowd shows up. Jesus reacts every time. He fed 5,000 people one time when the crowd showed up. He fed 4,000 people another time. Two different stories. He ends up feeding all these people. But the crowds show up. So while he's addressing his disciples in this passage, most scholars would say that there's probably still some people lingering around, a crowd still present. And so this is kind of like the sum total of everything that we experience. The crowd are the people probably who heard amazing teachings, who saw amazing things happen, there are people in this crowd who have seen Jesus do miracles. There are people in the crowd probably who have, who have seen other people respond out of faith. There are people in the, in the crowd that probably don't have much faith. But the reason this passage is so beautiful to me because this passage is about 
nobody else, not the crowd. The passage that focuses in on, it's about making them, them making a decision in that moment and how would they respond to Jesus. And I love the, the, the passage because it says this. It uses the two-letter word. And I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, right after, for what will it profits a man? He uses that little word, if he gains. And back here it says, for whoever would lose his life. There's the, there's the key if. If anyone would come after me. The word if in the scripture. The word if that Jesus uses. The word if is sort of a, 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 a word that could go one way or another. Remember in Esther she said, if I perish, I perish. Now Jesus tells them, if you're going to follow me, here's what's required of you. If you're going to be my disciple, this is what I expect of you. And he begins with the word if in 24. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. Now, if you have a Bible made of wood, some trees, some pages, um, circle that word if. It's okay to write in your Bible. It's not a sin. Trust me. That word if is a word of condition. Parents. You tell the kids, right? You give them conditions all the time. Parents, you tell your kids, son, if you mow the yard, then this will happen. If you clean your room, it's conditional. If you do your homework, then this will happen. If you do this, then that. There was an app several years ago actually called If This, Then That. Anybody remember that? If This, Then That? You could program things on your phone to, to automatically happen. So if I take a picture and I want it to go to a folder or I want it to go somewhere in my, on my phone or my computer or whatever, if this, then that. It's conditional. I have a new driver in my house. There's a lot of ifs that happen. Can I take the car? If you go to the store. <laughs> Parents, can I, can I, get, oh, yeah, you can, if. It's a conditional word. In this passage, if implies a couple of things. The one that, thing that if implies, it's an, it's an intentional decision that you need to make, if. It's a moment when you're going to make an intentional decision. Whether or not you're going to follow me, Jesus says, it's, it's not about good intentions, but it's about a decisive decision. And what are you going to do? If apply, implies that some are going to follow him and some are not going to follow him. And one of the things that breaks my heart in Scripture is that you see it over and over again, times when people would come to Jesus and make these great declarations that they're going to follow him, they're going to live for him, they're curious about him, and then Jesus tells them what's required of them, and, and then they kind of don't show up in the Scripture ever again. If you would come after me, if you would follow me, the stories go back. One guy comes to Jesus and he says, hey, you know what, Jesus? I'll follow you wherever you will go. Jesus says, great. Go back and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And obviously Jesus wasn't saying that he couldn't have money because this was, but the, obviously this was this guy's idol, right? This was this guy's worship. He worshiped, you know, the, the physical things and the possession. He said, go ahead and sell everything and follow me. And then we never hear from the guy again. 
The Bible says he went away sad. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it's about me first and nothing else. He says to this guy, go, go sell everything you have and come follow me. And then we know nothing about this guy after that. Virtually nothing. He walks away. And then on the heels of that is another story. A guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but my dad's about to die. Remember this guy? You know, I've got to go bury my dead father. And that was an expression that day that basically said that my dad is at the point where he's going to die any moment. And let me go and collect my inheritance, is really what the guy was probably doing. Let me go bury my father. It wasn't out of really compassion probably for his father it was uh, i gotta go kind of get what's coming to me and and settle things up you know i gotta be there for the will reading and get my you know get what's mine and then and then i'll come follow you jesus and jesus simply says what does he say let the dead bury the dead meaning if you're going to follow me it's not about it's about right now it's it's about a right now moment not down the road not about tomorrow it's not about next week it's not about next month he says follow me now and the guy does the same thing he walks away and then there's a last story that, that, I, that I, I, I just have a problem with these people. This guy comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me just go back and say goodbye to my family. Remember that guy? Let me just go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus says this, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit to be my disciple. Jesus didn't mince words. Meaning, if you're going to follow me, it's about being all in right now. It's not about going back and looking back. It's about committing to being all in right now. When Jesus uses the word if, the implication is that there are going to be those who just say no thanks. Whether it's through their words or through their actions, they're just going to say no thank you. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. There are some people, maybe watching online or maybe here today, you don't know Christ and then when we're done with the message today, you know, you're, you may be compelled by what the Holy Spirit's revealed to you, compelled by the message, and you're going to be compelled by the words of Jesus. But even today, you'll say to me and you'll say to Jesus this morning, no, thank you. No, thank you. You're going to hear, you're going to, you're going to hear what Jesus has to say, and, and you're going to, some of us may be believers and you'll hear these words again, and you'll see these accounts again, and you'll feel great conviction over the areas where we're falling short in your life. And I know that the Holy Spirit still works and convicts people through messages, through the Holy, through what He does, and works in and out. I get all that happens in a live setting. But you know what? You're going you're gonna to say, you know what? I do need to recommit sort of my life. Uh, and that's not just an evangelical, fancy word, churchy word. But you're actually looking at your life and saying, you know what? I'm not following God where I should be. I'm not where, where I ought to be with God. I, I feel far away. I haven't been. And I'm, I'm, I really need to be. And, and some of you will look at that. And because Jesus uses the word if, he realizes that some of you will even say, no, no thank you. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me. If any man wants to come after me, there are some things required he says, and it's all in verse 24, and it's on the screen. It says this, if any man would come after me, number one, he must, what? Deny himself. Deny self. If we're going to follow Jesus, it begins with denying self. You say, you know what? I, I get it, pastor. Deny self, right. Now, I've been in church a long time, too, and I've heard this pre passage preached a, a thousand times, a ton of times. And the thing that I always wrestle with is, is at the end of the message, you know, I understand what you're saying. I know what I got to do. I got to deny myself. I get it. 
But what does it look like to deny myself and take up my cross? What does it look like? I mean, what, do, what does it look like what, to do what Jesus is saying here? I want to unpack what it looks like so it's clear. The word deny, everybody say deny. Those that are awake say deny. In the original language, it means this, to disown, disown, or to separate ourselves completely from. Disown. The word means to be completely disowned and separate our, ourselves from. Probably the best example I could give you of denying something or denial in the scripture is Peter when he denied Jesus. Remember that. Jesus says, you know, all these things to Peter, and, and the, he cuts the guy's ear off, and, he, and you know, he just kind of, that was an amazing story because Jesus sort of supernatural super glue, your ears back on. I mean, it's kind of Holy Spirit glued, boop, right back on. But then, you know, they, they take Jesus and they've arrested him and Peter follows. And Peter's in the courtyard and three times people come up to Peter and they say, you know, don't you know him? Weren't you with him? Don't you love this guy? And three times Peter says, I don't know him. He denied knowing him, denied knowing him. The, the key word there is deny. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. Three times. What was he doing by denying Jesus? He was disowning and separating himself from the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he was thinking, if that's what awaits me, Jesus was being carried away to be crucified. And Peter's like, well, I don't know the guy. Denying him. Disowning himself. Well, I don't know the guy. He's like, if, I, if, that's, if I'm going to have to go through that, I'm not doing that. The point is that it's the same kind of denial that we need to have to ourselves when he says, deny yourself. In the scripture in verse 24. If we're going to deny self, two things we need to do. Number one, we need to disown the desires of our old nature. Because our old nature is driven by self-centeredness and self-indulgence. How many of you, when you were a teenager, no offense to the teenagers in the room. You know, we were all teenagers at one point. We didn't skip over those years. But when you were a teenager, how many of you, if you don't raise your hand if you're not confident or maybe it wasn't you maybe it was someone you knew not you but how many of you were a te teenager felt like the world revolved around you how many would be humble enough to admit that when i was a teenager i just it was all about me right it's about me there's just kind of a running joke that you could insert insert people here but how many teenagers does it take to screw in a light bulb just one, they stand still and the whole world revolves around them. That joke you laugh at. Or at least they act like it, right? No, what about me? What about me? How about, what, what do you mean you guys are going to, what about me? Because we are self-centered people. And, and it just revolves around us. And if we're going to deny ourselves, it begins with us owning the desires of the old nature that are driven by self-centeredness and driven by self-indulgence. And it's simply saying, you know what, wait, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what people think. I don't care about taking responsibility and consequences. And I'm going to live how I want to live. That's the self-centeredness. That's the self-centered nature that we have to deny. That's the first thing. Secondly, we need to separate ourselves from the philosophies of the old self. We must disown the desires. Remember, deny, disown, separate. Disown the desires of our old nature 
and separating ourselves from the philosophies of the old nature. Two philosophies, I think, run rampant. And I think even as believers, we wrestle with sometimes. The first one is independence. Independence. We can do it ourselves. We got this. There's some sort of, in the world, there's some sort of a a, a toughness that comes with, you know, I got this. I can handle this. I'm independent. You know, the world would say, you know what? Suck it up, man. You can handle it. I need this. I'm independent. I can handle this. We need to we need to we need to to, to disown to separate ourselves from this thinking of I got this I'm independent I can handle it. The central truth of the gospel is you can't handle it. <laughs> you can't handle it. And if you like to come to church and get the feel good feelings and all that stuff, let me give you this. The truth of the gospel is we are wretched, we are pitiful, and we are broken people in desperate need of a Savior. (laughs) That's the truth of the gospel. That's one of the philosophies that we need to distance ourselves with, that I can do it. One other one is I I have to work harder so that I can be fill in the blank. Somehow I I need to work so I can, ha- I can find favor with God. It's a works-based salvation idea. And, and, and the more I study the gospel, the more I'm reminded, and even on my best day, in my best clothes and my best attitude, I can never earn the favor of God. Never. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, so that no man can boast. And if we're going to deny self, we disown the desires of the old nature, separate ourselves from these philosophies of the old self. If you think about it, that's what you do when you come to faith in Christ. That's what you do when you say yes to Jesus. You, don't, you, you do not disown that old self, and you do not separate yourself from your sin. You don't do it yourself. You give up that independence. You receive that grace. You yield your life to Christ, and like me, you beg for his forgiveness. And you receive his grace. The, the decision that you made to follow Christ, you deny certain things. And we fight it, but we need to deny ourselves. The next thing is, remember he said, deny yourself and take up your cross. Take up your cross. Now, if there's ever been a passage of Scripture that I think believers have made more complicated, it's this passage. And we know we make it complicated. We make it say something that it doesn't say. The cross, the cross is the picture of death. It really is. The cross is a picture of the price that Jesus paid for us. So when he says, take up your cross... It's the same idea that's true for us. Taking up your cross means a couple things. What it doesn't mean is this. (laughs) I heard somebody say one time, where I used used to hang out in some pretty weird circles. Anyway, I heard somebody say one time, uh, man, I wasn't going to say this, but I won't tell you who it was. But he said to me, he said, you know, we were in like a, a group of Christian men, right? Christian men. What could go wrong? We're in this group of Christian men. 
we're talking about some struggles and some things. And it's all good. Conversation's going well. And then one of the guys says, and I wasn't the leader of it. Some other guy was the leader. And it's all good. And one of the guys says, you know, yeah, you know what? It's kind of like my wife. And we're like, uh-oh. What's he going to say? And he says, you know what? He, she just never stops with the nagging. Never. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and the leader of this group says this. Well, that's just the cross I guess you have to bear. <laughs> When I talk about twisting the scripture, the cross you have to bear, taking up your cross is not your nagging wife, sir. The cross is not the picture of your nagging wife or your kid that won't listen or any of the sister or the mother-in-law that that is just on your last nerve. That's not the cross you have to bear. When he says, take up your cross, the cross is the picture of death. Taking up our cross means a a willingness to pay any price to obey my Savior. Any price. Do we have that willingness in us, really? If God told told you to obey Him and do what He said and go, like He told Abraham, remember? Abraham, He said, you know what, Abraham, I'm going to show you. I'll show you the land when you get there. Go ahead and head out. How do I know when I get there? Well, I'll tell you when you get there. Lord, whatever it costs me to follow you, I'm going to give it. Because if it costs me my job, if it costs me, you know, asking, you know, some people to do some things, Lord, that is outside my comfort zone, Lord, whatever it costs me, that is what I'll give up. Remember Esther, don't get sidetracked. Esther, if I perish, I perish. This is why why I'm called. I want to represent Christ well. And if if that's what it takes, Lord, I'll do it. Are we willing to pay the price? He says, take up your cross. It's a willingness to pay any price to obey my Savior. And also taking up your cross is a readiness to endure the things that Jesus had to endure. Take up your cross. In other words, Jesus said, you know, all these things that I had to endure on the cross, shame, rejection, rejection, persecution because of him. Take up your cross means this. If there needs to be somebody that says, you know what, I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word, that this is right and true, no matter what comes my way, no matter what price I have to pay, then I'm going to do it. That's the cross. Taking up your cross. Obeying the truth of his word. Standing on it no matter what. some point this requirement that Jesus gives separates and creates a line of delineation between pretenders and real followers. Pretenders and real followers. Pretending, playing church, being fans and not followers of Jesus. A true follower of Christ is one who says, my life is not my own. Galatians 2.20, remember that. For I have been crucified with Christ. Talk about taking up your cross. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live that Christ lives in me, and I live 
the life I live by the flesh. I live by, I don't live the life I live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what it means to be a follower and to take up your cross. The last thing. He says, take up your cross. And then he says what? Follow me. Follow me. Follow him. Follow Jesus. And I love the order of things here, you know. I love what Jesus says. He reminds us that if we're we're going to follow him, it begins with denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. It's only after we deny ourselves and take up our cross are we truly fit to follow Jesus. And you see, when we follow him, following Jesus is about living a life of total obedience to him every single day. Denying every day. Taking up my cross every day. Pursuing him, not just on Sunday morning, but every single day. Coming after him, he says. And I read stories like this, and, and I, it's true. If you've heard you know, this, this story time and time again in this, this account, these words jumped out at me when I read it again. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Him. And I think sometimes the question we need to ask at the end of all of it, that, that, that decision word, right? That, that, that word that I told you, that little two-letter word, if. That means that you have a choice, right? If. If you follow him or if you don't. And, and it says this at the end, at closing, it says this. When we read the passage, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. What's at stake if I don't? What is truly at stake if I don't? Why is this moment so crucial for these people and these disciples? Why is Jesus warning them to decide? It's a big deal. Jesus says in 25 and 26, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his very soul? Jesus says, you know what? You know what's at stake? You choose the world now, and you choose to pursue the things of the world. One day, you're going to forfeit your very soul. That's what's at stake. What's at stake? What is so crucial about this moment? Eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. You know, I told, I was having a conversation with um, my sister this week. You can come up anytime, Randy. I was having a conversation with my sister this week. Talking about how long we're here on this earth. And uh, many of you heard, heard this example before, but I'm going to say it again anyway. Imagine there uh, in front of us, there is a line, a string, and it's stretched tight. And it goes all the way across the church, and it's stretched tight right here in front of us. But not only does it go across the church, it goes out the doors in either direction and keeps on going. And it's this line, this string that's pulled tight. And it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. For as long as you can see in both directions. But not only as long as far as you can see, but it goes all the way out to the ends of the earth. 
And not only all the way out to, to the end of the earth, but it keeps on going and keeps on going in both directions, out to the ends of the universe, as far as it's, it just keeps on going. There is no end. And then imagine this tight line right in front of us that just, I mean, it's forever that way and forever that way. And I was to come up, I took a pen. And I just sort of went like this on the line. And made a little dot, a little mark on the line. And you all know what that represents, right? That's our time. In the grand scope of all of time and eternity. That's our time. Esther's time. When she was on this earth. And Mordecai and the whole Xerxes, the whole thing was a pen mark on the entire line of history and eternity. And why this is so crucial, why this word if and why denying ourselves taking up our cross and following him is so crucial is because eternity is at stake and your decision today that mark on that line will determine where you spend the rest of eternity because of a decision you make today it was crucial that Jesus got this point across he said, if someone would follow me, if someone would choose life in me, if someone would choose me for eternity, these are some things you'll have to do. But the if question is, is crucial because eternity is at stake. I would ask you to stand. Eternity is at stake today, folks. We don't just look back at the Old Testament at Esther and look back at the New Testament at, at Matthew and Peter and Jesus making those decisions. And, and We don't just look at that. We look at today, right here, right now. You know, the, the, the story of Esther is not a fairy tale. It's moments in history. Esther was a real person. King Xerxes was a real person. These things happened in real time. Same thing with the disciples. They were real people. 12 men who changed the world all because of one man who changed the world you're not here by accident we started out saying that you're here for a reason for such a time as this to respond even today so as we pray and as we bow our heads we don't want to embarrass anybody and close our eyes this morning we want to take inventory of our walk with Jesus and if we choose to follow him, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him, where are we with Jesus? Where are you with Jesus? Even right now, will this be your moment to make your mark on that line of eternity and say, from this moment, I choose you, Jesus. I choose to follow you. Because eternity hangs in the balance And so as you're in prayer this morning and as you're contemplating the message you heard and the Holy Spirit translates that message to you, saints, I would ask that you pray. 
Because if you're at a place in your life that you, you can't really define it, you can't really say that you've decided to follow Jesus with your life, you kind of say, well, I know about him, but maybe you've had opportunities to follow him. And like the people in scripture that we mentioned earlier, you had those opportunities and yet you chose to say, no, thank you at that time. The good news is he's knocking again. It's not just me speaking this morning. You're not here by accident to hear a nice message, hear some music, see the kids and go home. Jesus Christ is here this morning. And he's providing you the same opportunity he provided those people in scripture with. They decided at the time to say, no, thank you. And so as we pray and as we are we're taking inventory of where we are with God. I would ask that you would join me as I pray in seeking the heart of God this morning. And maybe he's speaking to you, maybe for the first time or maybe time again. Maybe there's been some time in your life that has elapsed when there was a time when you knew Jesus and you were walking with him, but yeah, you've kind of walked away and kind of said, you know, no thank you anymore. But Jesus is calling you right now for such a time as this to follow him, to deny yourself, quit being so self-centered and selfish, deny yourself, take up that cross, whatever he has for you, and follow him. So let's pray and we'll close and we'll seek God. Father, as we bow in your presence, we bow our heads. We're not looking around to be distracted. We are focused, Lord, on what you have spoken to us through this word. And God, make no, we won't mince words. We won't, Lord, uh, sugarcoat it. That God, if there's anyone here or anyone watching online this morning or listening that doesn't know you as Savior, has not come to a point in their life where they say, yes. I accept you, Lord. I believe that you are who you say you are. God, we think of uh, the words of, of C.S. Lewis, Lord, that he said, you know, Jesus either is who he says he is, he's a lunatic, he's a liar, or he is the Savior. So, God, I know there's people here that are not here by accident this morning. And that, Lord, they have received this message and it has penetrated their heart by the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, they are ready to follow you. Some for the first time, Lord, and some for the, the time again. They need a renewal. They want to come back to you and serve you and, and rely on you and have you, Lord, for their comfort and their peace. And so, Lord, as we close this service this, this morning, I pray, Lord, that everyone in the, within the sound of my voice would respond in some way. If you're calling to them, Lord, that little word in your, in your holy word that says, if, if you would follow Jesus, if God has spoken to you this morning in this time of prayer and reflection, if God has spoken to you and says, you know what? I brought you here for a reason this morning. And if you know that you know that you know, 
And I know that feeling because I stood where you stand. If you know that God is speaking to you this morning and you've never surrendered your life to him to begin eternal life right now, to mark that line this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, I want to give you that opportunity before you leave this place because you're not guaranteed tomorrow to receive him as Savior this morning. And we're spaced out enough in this room that no one's going to be looking at you. No one will even feel you do it. But if you need to begin that relationship, a serious relationship with Jesus Christ here this morning, I want to pray for you and continue to pray for you. But I want you to just lift your hand up and say, Pastor, that is me this morning. I need that relationship. I never had it. I played church for a long time, but I need that relationship starting now. I want to mark my line on, the, on that, mark my mark on that line of eternity. If that's you, just kind of slip your hand up. I'll see it where you are. I'll see it. Maybe you've been here for a long time, maybe your whole life. And you say, Pastor, I know Jesus. I don't need to respond to that. But maybe you're not walking with him. Maybe you want to settle that this morning. You say, you know what? Yeah, I, I do need to get more serious about my walk with Christ. I've kind of had one foot in the world, one foot in church, and one foot in my relationship with Christ, one foot in my relationship with others. But God, I need to get serious this morning. And starting now, I'm going to mark my line and be serious with Christ. I'll pray for you as well. If that's you, just say, hey, Pastor, that's me. Sure, sure. Just raise your hand up and say, that's me. I'm going to commit to him. 100% I'm all in. Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, you know these people and you know us, you know me, you know everyone in this room, you know everyone watching online, Father. You know the condition of their heart. And Lord, we are not promised tomorrow. So I pray, Lord, that if there is one that needs salvation, needs to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, they would not tarry one more day, one more moment, that this would be their moment, that they would surrender their life to you. It's a harsh world out there, Lord. I can't imagine trying to do life in this present day without you, without your hope, without your comfort, your love, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. I can't imagine, Lord, trying to do it on my own. So, Lord, we surrender this morning. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow you. Lord, be with everyone as, as we leave here. May we not depart from your presence. Lord, bless your people. I pray this morning. God, speak to hearts and lives. Don't let people, Lord, linger uh, um, without making a decision for eternity. Be closer than a brother as your word promises you will be. We will give you the glory and give you the praise because you are worthy. You hold our eternity in your hands. All we need to do is accept you. Father, we love you this morning. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.